want to welcome you to the Trauma-Informed Educators Network podcast. Uh, This podcast is coming out of the Trauma-Informed Educators Network Facebook group. Um, I am so looking forward to talking to people globally about their trauma-informed journey. As the principal of Fall Hamilton Elementary School, a trauma-informed school in Nashville, Tennessee, I have learned that this is not a destination and it truly is a process of learning and, and adjusting. So this podcast will be speaking to guests all over the world about people who are just starting their journeys and people have been on this journey for many, many years. So I hope you enjoy our guests. I hope you learn something just as I am. And welcome to the Trauma-Informed Educators Network podcast. All right, this is episode number 29. We are almost to 30 here. And in matter of fact, by the end of next week, we'll be on episode 30. But today, we're going to be talking to Kristen Hovius. She's an educator with over two decades of experience in vocational adult education. She led one of Chicago's Cortivia Institutes at both educate as an education director and adjunct faculty member from 2006 to 2017. Her love of, of anatomy and science of human development brought her to the work of social and emotional learning. Hovius is a certified positive discipline trainer and served um, the Positive Discipline Association as the director and consultant from 2016 to 2018. In 2015, Hovius founded the SEL Chicago to help adults learn the skills to create mutually respectful environments with intention. SEL Chicago's clients include the Chicago Public Schools, Illinois State University, Columbia College uh, in Chicago, as well as private and parochial schools in the Midwest. She continues to grow in her practice and is pursuing her Master's of Science in Psychology at Indiana Institute of Technology. Hovius lives in Chicago with her two, uh, with her husband and her two children. So this is what Kristen had to say. Kristen, how in the world are you? It's been several months since we spoke last, and you know I've been very excited to get you to get you on the podcast. How are you? And and of course, I got to start with everybody. How are you? And what's your story? <laughs> um, wow. So today is November. I'm looking at my computer. November nineteenth. Um, we are still in the thick of the pandemic, and um, I'm joining you from Chicago. I'm joining you from Illinois, and the numbers here for us are going up. Um, so my heart's really heavy. My heart's really heavy tonight. Um, I'm so hopeful that people are sheltered in comfort and in safety. Um, and for many of us who have been that, that lack of safety is, is potentially challenging. Um, and then I just had, so there's that. And I had, I had so many joyous moments. I'm a, I'm a mom of a sixth grader and a seventh grader who are learning remotely here. Um, they're Chicago public school students. Uh, and we had, we're having lunch every day together. And <laughs> we had a riotous good time today at lunch. So that was fun. Um, and I think the other way I am is um, so aware of the important work that needs to be done for us to bring dignity to our children and to our parents and to our teachers in this world that isn't always filled with dignity for them. 
That's how I am. Yeah, I mean, and I, I get it. You know, I, 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 and I don't know if you remember, but I'm actually originally from Illinois. Um, I grew mm-hmm. up my whole life just out right side outside of St. Louis. So my parents still live in Illinois. Illinois is a very close place to my heart. And like most places, there's all kinds of intensity going on in the political scene of Illinois. I hear about it all the time. Um, but the fact is we are in the middle of a pandemic, a middle, who knows if it's middle, we could be at the beginning. We could be close to the end. We don't know where we are, but it is intense. And as a elementary school principal, um, by day and podcaster by evening, um, I am, I, 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 it's intense. And, um, we have kids in our building right now. We have about 150 kids and, um, man, it's, it's something. And, and our mayor just announced today, uh, you know, starting Monday, there's no gatherings allowed over eight people. Um, yeah. I have 16 kids in a classroom. We don't know if that means we're not going back. So, man, it is heavy. And, and you know, I think my, my phrase has always been insanely optimistic. And I think we all have to be in that space of going, we have to remain in that optimism. But, boy, it is a lot of heaviness right now, for sure. Yeah. Well, so my journey to doing the work that I do today began with, um, originally I was a, a working in the classroom. Uh, so I was not a elementary school teacher. I was a teacher of anatomy at a vocational school. So my students were 18 to 25 year olds uh, finding massage therapy as a career. Um, usually returning to classroom for the first time after the work of being in high school. Um, And in my leadership of a classroom, I was really clear that I shared power. I wanted to make sure that my expectations were really clear. They always were. And I also remember how important it was that I created warmth and dignity in the classroom. And I communicated that really, really clearly because I knew for my students who were returning to school, and I usually was their very first, like their very first teacher in their very first class in the return, that their history of themselves as a learner, they were carrying it all with them. And I often, as a a, a teacher, as a white teacher, I represented every other teacher that they ever had. So that clarity of warmth and acceptance was always really clear. Um, and Matthew, let me tell you something. Then I had children. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't know a lot about early childhood. I knew a lot about the anatomy of the adult and the physiology of the adult, but I didn't know about early childhood. And so I remember struggling between being really permissive and getting so angry at my children for how they would be when I was permissive. And then I would flip to being authoritarian, my way or the highway. And then I really wasn't comfortable with who I was. And I would go back and forth and back and forth because I didn't know that you could use those tools of authoritative, kind and firm at the same time, warmth with loving support with little people. With young people, I think I think the uh, the the analogy I always love to use is Fred Rogers and, and General Patton. It's mm-hmm. kind of that mm-hmm. it's that balance, you know. And that I think that came honestly out of uh, Jim Sporletter's book. Um, that mm-hmm. analogy, it, it's it is that fine line, isn't it? 
Well, yes, but it's actually it's actually a whole whole host of skills that we don't always access when we are dysregulated. And so finding um, my my children went to we found our way to this school that used the work of positive discipline, which is the work of Jane Nelson and Lynn Lott. It was it's really based in Adlerian psychology. Um, so it's really based on the work of Rudolf Dreikers, where mutual respect and dignity is this like we're all seeking belonging and significance. And what we want is dignity. And when we don't feel like we're receiving dignity, then we act in one of four ways, according to Dreikers. It, we act in one of four ways to demand our dignity. And so once I realized that um, those, those were the things that I was using in my classroom as a teacher, that, that the same tools with that theory and philosophy behind it when used with my children really produced um, a relationship where in the middle of this pandemic, where we have been together every day for months and months and months, um, we can talk about problems and we can brainstorm solutions together. And we are a community. That would not happen if I was still trying to be my way or the highway because a sixth grader and a seventh grader is gonna to start to really resist you or hide or sneak yeah. or do some of the other behaviors that um, aren't going to be helpful for them long-term. And isn't it interesting because I think that many of us grew up in homes, what you just described, right? That authoritative, um, not authoritarian. Everybody. Authoritarian. Yes. Authoritarian. Mm. That's a difference. <laughs> and I, 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 I definitely want you to get into that authoritarian mm. where it's, I said it, so do it. And, and a lot of schools that we went to were, I said it, so do it. A lot of schools operate now the way, because I said it, you're going to do it. But what you're talking about is authoritative. Now, you and I have had discussions before, and, and you really, I, I love to hear you talk about the difference between kindness and justice, um, because I think those two things could sometimes be intertwined, but then again, they could be completely different. So Talk through that with me, because I, I really am interested in hearing your um, your ideas around that. Um, so when when I think about support, so what what I'm going to back up for just a second. So what I do in the world is work with I've. Uh, an organization called SEL Chicago. We work and bringing this work to parents, to teachers, to schools who are trying to find ways to do restorative practices in a way that is has a lot of dignity at its core. Um, and I also work with teacher prep programs. So the when people hear the words positive discipline, because I'm also a positive discipline trainer. Often when people hear the words positive discipline, they either kind of scratch their head because they're like, mm, this positive thing. I don't really understand how positive and discipline can be together. Or they hear, okay, I have to be nice. And so discipline, and I, I appreciate this, so this 
the clarity so much. Discipline is has the Latin word of disciplice, which actually means to teach and to support. And so when we think about kindness and firmness, which is that definition of authoritative, kindness means connection. Connection with an individual, connection with a community, connection with belonging, and the firmness, and this is the way positive discipline says kindness and firmness, the firmness piece is support, is accountability. And so where I think some social emotional programs when really focus on be nice, and it's not about being nice, it's about being connected and connected in a way so that if you feel like you've been harmed, you can speak your truth in a community that's willing to hear you. And that takes someone, I believe, when we're thinking about power structures in a classroom, there's always power in a classroom. There's always power in relationship, unless we specifically intentionally try to bring that power to equality so that we're meeting each other on a horizontal playing field. But often in positionally and structurally, the teacher has more power than, I'm gonna make sure, I, I, <laughs> sorry, I'm gonna make sure I'm, I'm caught in this frame. So the teacher might have more power than the students. The principal might have more power than the teachers. The district might have more power than the individual principals. And so I believe it's that positional, the, the responsibility of the person in the position of power to then share the power. And that's where I also think some adults get tripped up. So it's actually not about being nice. It's about being connected. And if we, and this is a, a bigger piece in the uprising of 2020 and the demand for social justice and the real clarity for, for, for racial justice is if we are creating classrooms where it's just all about kindness, then if my dignity has been harmed, how am I supposed to tell that to you in a nice way? So if we can shift to dignity as a, at its core for each individual and as a community, then I believe that there's a way for us to amplify the voices of children, especially if they have been that power structure so that the adult shares intentionally. If there's anything that I'm doing in the classroom that feels like I'm powering over you, I need to know. Um, that is a huge shift in, and that's transformational in creating horizontal relationships. Um, and I think sometimes that's a lot of the resistance in the adults because we have never had that modeled for ourselves. Yeah. And I don't think we, we do. Our current systems and structures don't model that. And so what do you say, Kristen, because I hear this all the time especially yeah. around trauma-informed practices and restorative practices and all those things that we use, Peace Corners, mm -hmm. all those things we use in my school. What mm -hmm. do you tell people when they say, well, you're not preparing them for the real world? Because I hear that, right? Like, mm -hmm. well, when they become mm -hmm. an adult, there is no equality of power. They're going to have a boss. They're going to have this person. What do you say to, to people like that? Because it, that when they, when they approach you with that, because I hear it often, and I'm just curious to see how do you respond? 
I really try to drop into curiosity with that. And when I drop into, and, and that is going to depend on my relationship with this person. Sure. Right. Yeah. If I have, if I have, if I'm meeting this person for the first time in a PD. Yeah. Or, or they're responding to your social media post. Or they're responding <laughs> to my social media yeah. post, right? They do that too. Um, I want to drop into curiosity because I know that at the heart of that question, at the heart of that question is, I deeply, deeply care about and love this child and I want this child to be safe. So my answer to that is typically, if we can provide an environment in this classroom, because this classroom, like let's say it's a teacher, this classroom is the environment where you set the tone. And so if this student knows, this child knows that the moment he, she, they cross over the threshold of this door, that their dignity is safe with you, their individual self is seen with you, and however they are, they will be listened to, then you are creating an opportunity for them. You're creating the best possibility for them to show up as their most courageous self. And when they get into the real world, as many opportunities as our young people can have to have showed up as their most courageous self is going to be, I believe, going to increase the possibilities where the children's voices they won't let their voices be silent. You know, you know, and it's so, it's so true. And I, I resonate with that in that I participated in a black lives matter March here in Nashville that was put on by four teenagers. They were 15, 16, 16, and 17 and 10,000 people showed up. And the reason I showed up to that, mm-hmm. um, that rally was because I wanted to show them that they were heard by adults that, mm-hmm. that, that are in an educator. I'm an educator. And, and to see the mass and that showed up around the voices of these teenagers, you talk about inspiring. And you know, at my school, we focus on the seven habits of highly effective people. And most Mm -hmm. people don't realize there's actually an eighth habit. And that Mm. eighth habit is find your voice. And I tell Mm. people all the time, That's the one that resonates with our kids the most. And when kids walk out of my elementary school, I want them to receive the highest quality education. I want them to be loved and I want them to find their voice. And so, I mean, I, I just, I, I, that just gets me fired up because it's true. We no longer want our kids to sit and be quiet. We want them to see what you called justice. We want them to see kindness and firmness in their approaches and not just sit by and be accepting, I guess I should say, of wrongdoings or things that that shouldn't be occurring. And what we know is that given the pressures that often the adults are under. Yes. Um obedient children obedient children can be can be yeah. very easy to teach sure and 
you know, thinking about it, thinking about it from a trauma informed space, right? When that child is dysregulated, that dysregulation, it can look like fight or flight, sure. but it can also look like freeze sure. and free and freeze often looks cautiously the same or similar to obedience. 100%. Um, so the, so from a trauma informed perspective, acting, living, working, leading in a way that is committed to an authoritative approach, a kind and firm approach may also give us the best possibility for leading with and, and, and creating in a classroom that regulated space more often so or find it when we get dysregulated, finding it from here to here. So important. And it's a skill and it's a, it's a space in which we all should be um, striving for in schools. And so you, you keep bringing up this authoritative leadership, this authoritative. Mm -hmm. I know you have a lot, you've done a ton of work, even since the last time we actually spoke, you've Mm -hmm. done a ton of work. So talk more about what is authoritative leadership. I know you have a pathway uh, and some steps that you feel could lead to this this model. Mm-hmm. Talk us through it because I, I'm I'm intrigued by it. Okay. So first uh, first of all, I really want to define. Please. Right. And and if someone else is going to take this conversation and want, then wants to have action forward with another human being in this conversation, I think it's helpful to begin with what, what, when you, when I say authoritative, what do you think? And so Matthew, I'm going to ask you when you, when you hear the word authoritative, if we hadn't just had that entire conversation, what do you think people might say? Authoritarian. I mean, when I heard it, I was like, Oh gosh, that gives me just the, right. And then, (laughs) but I heard you say that, firm and kindness piece back earlier. Right. So it made me ease out. But if I hadn't known that, I would have tensed mm-hmm. up a bit, to be honest. And people do. Mm-hmm. So it's really, really helpful to, to make sure that you, uh, that I, when I'm having these conversations, I want to make sure that we're really clear on what authoritative means and all the research that backs it up. So authoritative leadership is a word that was actually coined by Diane Baumrund. And I'm not sure that I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. Um, 1966, she defined parenting styles and she defined three parenting styles, authoritarian, which is really, really firmness, demanding, high demanding. She defined permissiveness, which was lots and lots of warmth, And then the space where demandingness and warmth meet and overlap, if we think about a Venn diagram, is authoritative. It's warm support with, along with those high expectations, demandingness, structure, firmness. And one of my uh, mentors, Jody McVitie, I remember her as that when I was she was leading a training I was in. She said, make sure that as you're moving into this, that you lead with the firmness pieces, meaning don't not, not just leading with warmth, those structures, 
classroom or family jobs, routines. We thrive with those because that creates the boundaries that we can then begin to test because we are human beings, we're going to test them. So that authoritative leadership style began and was defined with parenting style. And it, I think it's really helpful to realize that there's so much academic research that has been done in schools that says that every measure that you want in positive school climate and culture goes up when the children in your building perceive you as authoritative. Everyone. And I'm going to read a couple, right? Higher student engagement, higher reading achievement, less bullying, less peer victimization, peer victimization among middle school students, lower levels of student aggression towards teachers, um, and lower suspension rates, higher levels of student engagement, less truancy, fewer dropouts. Um, and this last one uh, with a Hawkins et al. study is the possibility of protection against the risks as factors associated with low income and the quote is minority status. So I will make sure that you have access to all of those um, research pieces. Um, but that, that leadership in families and that leadership in schools isn't necessarily our lived the adults lived experience because we often would grow up in families where it was either permissive or authorit or authoritarian. Um, and there's also, if we're thinking about a quadrant, right, where we have a y-axis of firmness and an x-axis of kindness, we also have absence. We have neglect, right? We have laissez-faire or hands-off and and in each one of those, when we think about moving to a restorative justices practice, uh, I know that IIRP has a, it has a similar conversation where if we're thinking about if children are showing us their misbehavior because they're lacking a skill, any practice that we want to bring in needs to be able to build that skill. So, but if we're coming in with high, high firmness and low, low kindness, we're actually not, we're, that's going to be, that's going to be felt as the child is punitive and that's not going to build the skills. It's just punishing them for what they did in the past, but it's not giving them the skill that, that they need in the future. If we're giving, doing all the work for them, like a permissive style, then that's not going to build the skill. So the authoritative piece is where the skill is going to be most likely to be learned because it's done with. We're moving with the child. So as somebody who who learns from like scenarios, tell me mm -hmm. what this looks like in a scenario. Tell me when you talk about this process because I heard mm -hmm. I heard I heard uh, you know restorative practices in there. I heard a little bit of Ross mm -hmm. Green's lacking skills. Mm -hmm. You know he's mm -hmm. been on here. Um, tell me what it looks like in a in a in in, in a, uh, with a child that has that has done something. Um, okay. Because I think that when I hear educ when I speak to educators, they always say, "But what does it look like?" Go. So what does trauma informed look like? And sometimes it's really hard to get to what it looks like because it's not necessarily 
like something you can read from a textbook. It's really who you become and though your operating system. But if you could, like, give us give us a uh, an idea of what what that would look like. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna have I'm gonna share a conversation that I had with a group of middle school teachers where they were, they, it was a grade level team meeting and they were having a conversation. They were really, really struggling with the behavior of this one particular student. Um, I'm going to pause. I'm going to pause. I have a better story. Is that okay? Oh yeah, please. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I'm going to pause. Um, I was in a school. And when I go into a school, I'm really clear that I'm there for the adults. I'm not there for the kids. I'm there for the adults. Um, and I happened to be at schools for grade level team meetings. And there was this one particular student who became dysregulated and he became dysregulated multiple times really, really quickly. He was, he came into the office and the, the administrator who was there, she was responsible. She had a really good relationship with him and they were doing some co-regulate. She was being co-regulated. She was meeting him with calmness. He was telling her story. She, they played a little bit of cards so that he could calm down going from dysregulated to regulated. And then on her way back to asking the question, or on her way back to the classroom, she said, well, you know, there's going to have to be a consequence for this. And I could hear it. I could hear the shift when she mentioned that there's going to have to be a consequence and we'll talk about it later. In that, I, I, I don't want to pretend that I was, I'm in the mind of that child, but it, the behavior in that moment, the body went from relaxed to stiff. And not 10 minutes later, Back. the call came, the call came, please come get this student because he's just thrown a chair, fourth grader, just thrown a chair. And so security goes and gets him and he's evacuated into the classroom and he comes back and um, I'm, uh, there was a curse word that was <laughs> said was that by, by the, the adult or the student i'm kidding that was a joke no no no. it was it was from the student <laughs> okay, good. it was from the student right <laughs> and there was also uh protection of self and there was also grabbing scissors and sure. that that he did the student did not move forward but the student was there and the security officer was there and he immediately went into a security hold and i could i looked at the administrator and i said um I think I can be helpful and God bless her in the moment. She's like, just take it. Everyone was there. This is before the age of masks. Right. Right. <laughs> but I got down on the ground and I was about seven feet away from him. And I said to him, um, I'm going to call him James. And I said to him, James, my name is Miss Kristen. Looks like you're having a really hard day. I'm right here with you. We can figure this out. And in that moment, he melted and I looked at the security guard and we're going to call him Mr. John. I'm going to, and I whispered, Mr. John, for the next 10 minutes, 
I, I want you here, but for the next 10 minutes, would you also be willing to whisper? And he looked at me, he's like, what? Right. <laughs> and he, he kind of yelled, right? And it's, and the child got stiff again. And I said, would you be willing to whisper? He said, I think you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, it's okay, lots of people do. And so for the next half hour or so, we just worked on regulation. Right. And we, we, I, I maintained my regulation. We were working on hit on the child's regulation. The principal had this purple, blue and red clay. And so we were, we made a brain and the, the child had already been taught the hand model of the brain by Dan Siegel. Right. So here's the brain. Right. And when I'm flipped, it's the limbic system or the brainstem and oh, that they weren't using the big words. And so once he was calm, I said, okay, there were some people that were harmed today when you were so upset. Let's make a list of those people. And so we made a list. And I said, so if a solution is reasonable, related, respectful, and it's going to help solve solve the problem for everyone it's really going to be helpful what would how can we repair the harm that happened when you were upset and he pulled the blue part of the brain little blue blue, blue, blue piece of clay he's like when i was really mad i told the assistant principal to expletive off <laughs> And he walked over to her because she was right there. And he, she said, Miss P, it was the blue part of my brain. I'm really going to work on that. I'm sorry. I hope you can forgive me. So he, in that space, he could say that an apology in that moment hit reasonable, related, respectful, and helpful. And I want to be really clear that the source of that thinking about a solution is from positive discipline. So the answer to the longer answer to your question, what do I do? Um, I think Ross Green would say, I think Bruce Perry would say, regulate before we can reason, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, regulate, relate, and reason. I know he, he uses those so often. So being willing, but I had a willingness to do that. Yeah, and you were in a calm space. You were in a calm space, you know, and, and there's mm -hmm. there there is a quote that I said a long time ago that has went across the internet, and that is an escalated adult can't de-escalate an escalated child. Mm -hmm. And it is making sure that we're in that space to be able to do what you did. It sounded like the principal was not when she was like, just take it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think as as school leaders, as educators, we have to know when we're not in the right space to be able to manage those situations because mm -hmm. we have to be. Um, and I think it's so powerful. And that's a great, that was a great uh, situation analogy because I think educators need to hear what that means, right? And it is. That doesn't mean the kid just did this and he walks off and it's like, oh, bless him, what we say in the South, bless his little heart. We're just going to keep moving. No, it is like, okay, we have to fix this. We made we 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 hurt some people so let's figure out in those those r's that you stated um reasonable say those again reasonable related respectful 
and helpful. And in defining them, right? Helpful means it's helpful to build a skill. It helps the child build a skill. It helps repair the harm. And it has to be respectful to everyone. It does. Meaning. Yeah. I'm not going to make you go in front of the class and I'm going to make you do it because that's what we're going to do. That's not respectful, right? To everybody. Yeah, that's exactly right. (laughs) And yet it happens so very often. So I I love that you've defined this. I love that you've given an example. What are some of the struggles that someone may experience if they're looking at this authoritative leadership uh, model? Well, I think it's so in this framework for adoption or the most in the likelihood that the most that it's going to be adopted. Um, number one, willing to put in the time. And you know that, right? In education, we want a magic bullet. We want scores to go from here to here. We want referrals to the office to go down to zero in a week. Right. <laughs> right. Um, if it doesn't work, it must be because the tool doesn't work. I'm going to throw out the tool. Yeah, attempt, att- attempt, attack, abandon. It's the <laughs> education model that's been used for decades. Mm-hmm. So time is really helpful. But I also, I also truly believe that because, because def- being willing to be an authoritative leader is by definition the willingness to share power with intention we have to acknowledge the history and dynamics of power and we don't we don't really talk about power very much we just assume that we have it so if we can acknowledge the the dynamics of power and really commit to shifting some of that power balance um it takes Often it takes the stewardship of the leader. So if this is going to happen in a classroom, this the the teacher only has the ability to control that one individual classroom. It may not be able to happen at school level. So if the if the leader's willing to do this, the leader needs to acknowledge that dynamics of power. And it, the process is messy and it's really uncomfortable sure. sometimes. Um, building system wide awareness about the power of emotional regulation. So really teaching the brain science behind a regulated brain and a dysregulated brain. And that when students are dysregulated, they're actually not, they're not doing things on purpose. And that's really, really hard for us sometimes to not take that behavior personally. So being building awareness for emotional regulation um, and how to repair relationships after it happens. So we, we create some shared definitions of relative of relationship. So they're caring and they're supportive um, and they share power. And I think that sharing power when most of the time, when, if I'm coming back to places where I've done trainings and people are struggling, it's because they have not intentionally shared power. Um, taking time for daily practice and reflection when things aren't working, realizing that they may not be, they may not be working because I'm using tools. I may be using the tools that you taught me, but but I'm not using them in alignment with mutual dignity. Um, And really becoming aware of hypocrisy. And I don't think we talk about hypocrisy enough. I just want to pause for a second and say, um, Paul Hamilton 
it's K through five, right? Four. Pre-K through four. Pre-K through four. Okay. So you don't have middle school. No. (laughs) So what this magic thing happens with adolescents, right? Adolescents become hyper aware of hypocrisy. I must still be in my adolescence then because I'm very (laughs) hypersensitive. But yes, I understand what you're saying. Right. So when someone is in a position of power and they act out of alignment with what they say that they believe, it actually is one of those things that makes us dysregulated. Mm -hmm. So when we can build awareness around hypocrisy's power, when we can invite feedback to say, hey, if I'm acting out of alignment with what I say, I need to know. Because I might be, I might be dysregulated, right. and I need your help, money. Right. And even being willing to say that is actually sharing power. Um, and 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 saying that you're sorry and you made a mistake. I mean, I'm going to be honest, Kristen. I had to do that this week with this with one a, a staff member. I was in the middle of doing about 50 million things. I was not in the present. I was not focused on what the conversation was. There was a comment made, and it sent me, and I made a comment. And that person immediately, I knew, oh my goodness, I have just made a mistake. And I immediately uh, let that person know, I am sorry Mm -hmm. I was not present in your conversation. I Mm -hmm. made a mistake. I am sorry. I should not have said that the way that I said it. Um, And at the end, I have to give that person the time they need to process and and accept that apology. It doesn't have to necessarily be right now. Um, But I think that as educators... When we do and we are out of alignment and maybe our kids don't have, they're not in that space to be able to identify that to us. When we identify it in ourselves, we have to model that. So you must have known that that was the next point (laughs) because we're here. Yeah. (laughs) The next piece is teach and model relational repair. So we have to teach our students and ourselves, right? How do, how do we model repair? How do we model asking for repair? How do we model receiving repair and telling the other person if we're ready to receive it or not? Mm-hmm. Um, and if we aren't willing to model stepping on the dignity of the children in our care, then how can we expect yeah. our children to learn that skill? Yeah. Um, and I think we have a long way to go in our education system around that for sure. So I'm going to say something that's kind of provocative. Please. Um, the longer we wait to teach and model the skill of repair, the further away the possibility oh, yeah. of restorative practices is going to be. It's true. It's 100%. Because it all it starts with the person in positional power. Yep, I agree. Um, take time for training. Take time to practice new skills. Don't throw this out after a year. Right. <laughs> right? So true. Uh, don't throw this out after three months. Don't throw it um, out after three years. It takes a long time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because it takes time for, for us as adults to remodel our brains. Yeah when we are upset or angry to so not true. to go back into the tools of authoritarian or permissiveness, especially if those are, if those are our hardwired tools. Um, 
also modeling vulnerability that we're learning. 100%. And I mean, let's be honest. It's tough, really exhausting, hard paradigm shift work. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've been doing this work for several years and I, there's just slip ups when the stress is overwhelming and the district is asking us to do more and I don't have teachers and they're quarantined and I'm recovering classes. I have to recognize where I am. And, and I think a big thing that before, before we, we end, you have to talk about self care because I don't think any of those things you just listed Mm. can happen if we don't understand our own selves and our own well-being and making sure we're in that space. Mm-hmm. So there's something that happens. I'm, I'm starting to become really aware of when people say something, where I feel it in my body. Yeah. And when you just brought up self-care, where I felt it in my body is there's a muscle that caught that is part of our breathing apparatus and it's called the diaphragm and the diaphragm forms a dome at the bottom of our rib cage, which is also, you know, it's the bottom of our rib cage. So it's where our lungs rest on it and all of the, all of the organs of our torso and digestive system press up against the top of it. And when you just said self-care, I felt it in my diaphragm and I also felt it in my jaw, like, don't you tell me about self-care. I'm under so much pressure as it is. <laughs> right, right. Right? Um, I'm under, yeah, I'm thinking about our educators who are under self, you know, all of the pressures that they have to do. Are they in remote club? Like, okay, we don't have to go through with the pressures of educators right. or parents or, or family members. Or managing. anybody right now, yeah. Um, so what if, what if self-care could be awareness, self-awareness, just, just a pause. Self-care could just be a pause that gives us a little moment to check in with our own bodies before we react. And sometimes, especially if we have a history of a relationship with, with a particular child, and that history of relationship is fraught with tension. I'm thinking about, you know, there was a there was a disruption in learning last year because of Corona, and that child didn't get to finish a relationship with with a previous teacher. And now there's a new teacher, and there's a history and story with that child as that child grows up in in a, any school, right? Especially if it's that kid. Um, what I'm thinking about is if we as the adult can give us give ourselves just one moment to breathe before so we can choose response or reaction just in that moment we increase the possibility that that student is going to receive i'm going to i'm i'm going to use um some some other physiological words that the student is going to receive our connection fueled our oxytocin response instead of our adrenaline response so i believe that practicing these skills create 
the greatest possibility of having relationships with deep dignity and that when we can practice skills with deep dignity that can that could be a high form of self-care absolutely and it's that it's that pause between the stimulus and the response right we we talk about that to our our own students like Mm -hmm. when there's a stimulus you have to take that moment between the stimulus and our response and take that pause, that self-awareness, right? And, and I think that's so spot on, Kristen, because so many people want to talk about yoga class and drinking tea, and which is fine. It's great. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. those are great pieces of self-care, but I think we have to get a little deeper than that and say those moments, those mindful moments of connecting back to yourself between stimulus and response or when you know you're dysregulated because you have those signs of dysregulation, right? And and being unapologetic and disconnecting. I think that we have to understand that, you know, in my school is a happy teacher revolution school where we, we have 12 uh, connections to promises. And one of those is I disconnect and love. I love this so much that I have to step back. And, you know, mm-hmm. as a principal, I have a cabin that my wife and I are very fortunate that I we've had for several years and there's no internet, there's no phone, there's no television. And when I go there, I can't do anything. I can't do any work. I just, it doesn't, it doesn't. And I had to, it took me a long time to unapologetically stay in that space. Now I unapologetically do. I just put my auto and say, I'm away from this and I use that time to rejuvenate myself and and spend that time with my family and I think it's so important that educators understand that that there's no loss of 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 dignity by mm-hmm. taking care of yourself and spending that time in self-care whether it's in a moment or whether it's in a weekend um, and I think now more than ever it is such a priority the intensity that is in schools right now I cannot even describe. Matter of fact, I tweeted this morning, if you're not in the building of the school, no matter how deep your empathy is, you could never understand what's going on right now in buildings. Because even if everything's going right, even if the systems and structures are there, even if all the practices have been there for five years, there's still this intensity that just exists because of everything that's going on in the world and kids in masks and shields and and so I think it's so important to, to end with that self-care piece. And so Kristen, if, and, and, and we didn't even get to your book and maybe we have to do version two, but if, if people want to find you, um, and your book and your, your work, where can they find all of that? Well, it's pretty easy to find me. I'm at www.selchicago.com and you can find me in a variety of ways on the website. Um, I will make sure that you have the links to my Facebook and my Instagram and my um, Twitter account. And I'm my Facebook is at selchicago.com or at, at selchicago. And my Instagram and Twitter, I'm not sure <laughs> because I don't <laughs> use them enough. I, Instagram and Twitter, a growing skill. Yeah. Um, well, no problem. I'll, I'll tag yeah, you in it right. when we when we produce it anyways. Uh, and the the piece about the, the book, I think, comes back to the story that I told about what do we do, right? In the moment, what can we do? So the reason that I wrote that book is because in the moment with that student in that office, I realized that the reason that was effective was not 
because the kid knew about the brain and the hand model of the brain, but it was the adult response. And so, um, we ended up reading or I ended up writing the book, not only to teach the kids, but also to teach the adult, the adults, the power of mere neurons and the power of regulation. Well, and I can tell um, you the book works cause I read it to my own nine year old. And then I asked him a bunch of questions and the kid was like a neuroscientist. He could explain <laughs> everything. And I think that kids need to be, and you said something earlier when you were talking about, they didn't use the big words. We use the big words with our kids. Right. It don't matter if they're three right. or matter if they're 10, if we use mm -hmm. the big words, those are the words they learn and they can learn them and the function of the brain, whether it's the prefrontal cortex or whether it's the amygdala, mm -hmm. that is mm -hmm. so in your brain, in your book does that. It actually describes each part of the brain and exactly what the function is when it's dysregulated. Um, and man, kids get it because mine did. So tell them, tell them the title mm -hmm. of your book. And then um, we're going to talk a little bit about how to connect to more to this podcast and okay. some things we have coming up. Okay. So the title of the book is Our Brain Book. And it's also been translated into Spanish. Awesome. So I have it there. Um, on the website, there is a download to a read aloud. So one of the first when we were connecting back in April, you asked if there was an online read aloud, and there is now. Awesome. So, um, and that is available on the website. You know, and, and educators, uh, you know what? This is a great morning meeting tool. Um, mm. Talk about it in morning meeting. Read it for a week straight every day and talk about a different part of the brain. So many ways you can implement this. And, and Kristen, thank you so much for sharing your expertise. I so appreciate it. And I know the listeners are too. And, and of course, if you all want to continue to follow the Trauma-Informed Educators Network podcast, you can do that on Facebook. You can also follow me at PrincipalList on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and if also, just, just to remind you all, we are having our conversation in July. It's looking more like it's going to be a virtual conference given the current situation, but no, nevertheless, we are going to have one. So I'm really excited about getting all of these amazing people um, together that, that listen and have been guests and so on and so forth. Um, so we can all collaborate around being in trauma informed. So as I always say, thank you for listening and Please, 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 I'm going to add one this week. Wear your mask and wash your hands.